I guess the way procedures are handled a lot within colleges means that there's this really, really insecure environment where everyone knows everyone. So many students have had their claims dismissed, essentially. They really felt let down by the institution that was meant to take care of them. Hello, and welcome to Switchboard, Varsity's flagship podcast. My name is Isabel Roberts. And I'm Maddie Fisher. Just before we start, a quick content noting. This episode includes discussions of sexual assault, harassment and abuse. Nine months ago, two journalists from the media company Tortoise published their investigation into the alleged mishandling of sexual assault complaints by senior members of college staff at Trinity Hall. This article sparked great pressure to challenge sexual harassment procedures, resulting in student campaigns, open letters and demonstrations. And although there were some gains, such as an independent inquiry into Trinity Hall's sexual assault allegations, the momentum to challenge sexual harassment policies more broadly at Cambridge has diminished due to the coronavirus crisis. However, recently the issue has come back under the spotlight due to the coverage last month of Homerton College's mistrust and mishandling of sexual misconduct and disciplinary complaints. And just last week, Jesus College came under scrutiny for refusing to guarantee that students bringing cases of assault or harassment which took place during a violation of the college's COVID-19 guidelines will not face disciplinary action. So today, we take a closer look at both the university and college's procedures, examining students' experiences of them and what needs to change. We began by speaking to an anonymous student from Homerton College, who speaks to us about the complaints made about her college. So on October the 30th, a Varsity article was published detailing allegations made by students that Homerton's senior management have responded inadequately and mishandled sexual misconduct and disciplinary complaints. So can you explain how that came about and what the allegations are? The first I heard of it was that recently we've had a society set up at Homerton called Homerton for Consent. And this was set up due to a certain amount of mistrust that's arisen around college as to how sexual assault allegations are being handled. This organisation, Hobbiton for Consent, then drafted this open letter on, I believe it was October the 12th, to basically express this mistrust. And they highlighted a wide range of issues, which was very concerning to a lot of students. So some of the things they raised was that there was no transparency as to how to report allegations like this, that students weren't aware of who to go to. They also highlighted the strong responsibility of the HUS, so that's the Homerton Union of Students for both undergraduates and postgraduates. So they highlighted the strong responsibility of the HUS when it comes to reporting incidents. The HUS kind of are our primary welfare support, I feel like, in college. They're the ones advertised as welfare support. And it seems that a lot of students were being advised to actually go to the HUS instead of, say, their tutor to report these allegations. The third main issue the Open Letter highlighted was that when reporting incidents, students have had basically information that they thought would be kept confidential, shared with other members of staff, which is obviously quite an invasion of privacy. Varsity published this article, which detailed some further allegations. So one student was discouraged from making a complaint because she'd had sexual comments made about her by the supervisor to other students and was discouraged from making a complaint about this. There was also a very bad handling of an abusive relationship where a student was made to address her complaint to the perpetrator as well as to the senior tutor. And so what is Homerton's harassment reporting procedure? 
honestly, up until this week, I could not have told you. There's definitely no open database to go to or no obvious place to go. Some students allegedly, according to this open letter, were basically being told to report it to the Huss, which obviously they're only other students. Homerton have now created a page on their Nexus site in response to the Varsity article, basically telling students that they should contact either their tutor or the discrimination and harassment contacts that we have in college. But this information was definitely not available up until kind of a week ago. I think the problems were really exacerbated by this lack of clarity and the lack of empathy by the senior tutor specifically that a lot of students have talked about is the real cause of this problem. Because when you just hear lots of bad experiences that students have had, it doesn't exactly make you want to go to your tutor or make you want to talk to the senior tutor because so many students have had their claims dismissed, essentially. Would you therefore say almost the problems in Homerton are more a result of the poor carrying out of the procedure than actually the procedure itself? I think you could be right. I think it's more not knowing what the procedure is. And yes, a poor carrying out of the procedure once a student has made an allegation. For example, one issue that the Varsity article raised was that the student who had heard a supervisor making sexual comments about her also heard um, in the same conversation another student referred to her as a slut and the senior tutor allegedly just replied with, well, when I was young, the word slut meant a woman who kept an unclean house, which is an extremely bad carrying out of that process once someone has made an allegation they should feel supported and they should feel safe instead this student was essentially told that she needed to get over it and that it wasn't a big deal that comment though that you highlight I think it it is particularly alarming not just because of how bad it is in that context but also because it really makes you question almost like the emotional intelligence of people who are handling a lot of personal and like mental health issues in other contexts separate to allegations when their response to a student who is upset about, you know, being called a slut is to kind of make an almost joke around it. And you mentioned before that actually there's been quite a lot of positive change in maybe the last week in response to the Varsity article. But on the flip side of that, is it slightly disappointing that it's taken the Varsity article to get that change when I can imagine that presumably the JCR students, etc. had been like trying to raise awareness of this before? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm happy that they are making changes, but it's so bad that it's got to this point for that change to happen. Hearing all these stories about the senior tutor, it doesn't make us feel safe. Those of us who have suffered from sexual assault or or any kind of harassment, whether it's happened within college or outside of college, it makes us feel undervalued And as if our mental health is not taken seriously compared to the perpetrator's mental health. Do you think these problems are specific to Homerton, Cambridge, or are they actually just part of like a bigger problem university wide? I think there's two parts. I think it is part of a wider problem across the university. There clearly are systematic issues in how allegations are handled and the support that people get compared to the support that perpetrators get. But I think Homerton's situation is quite unique in that so much has come out about the college's poor welfare systems and the um, senior tutors handling of claims in particular. So I think that has exacerbated the problem that exists across the university.
Do you think that the college's response is enough? Are you satisfied by it? And do you think it's kind of put the issue to, uh, to bed? I definitely don't think it's put the issue to bed. I am satisfied with how they've responded. So besides those measures, for example, it's now become a rule that whenever a student meets with the senior tutor, then their own personal tutor has to be there as well to sit there and be the pastoral representation, if you like, for the students. And then there have been some efforts to clarify reporting processes. And there is also now an anonymous form where we can give feedback about any aspect of college or staff. So they definitely are taking action. And I think that some members of staff, particularly the principal and the vice principal, really are listening to us. But my fear is that all of this happens this term and then next term we just kind of go back to normal. So I just really would like the college to keep on listening, to keep asking for feedback and to keep clarifying these reporting processes and the support that you can get while reporting as well. It's really vital. Last February, Tortoise journalists Chris Cook and Ella Hill released an investigation into the handling of sexual assault complaints at Trinity Hall. The article focused on the problems of investigating complaints within a small insular college, therefore triggering calls to replace the separate college procedures with a centralised approach. Ella Hill speaks to us about the investigation and the response to it. How did you um, and Chris come to cover this story? We were approached with some information about about Trinity Hall, which was sort of the main the main focus of our investigation, which came out earlier this year. We went from there really because some of the cases that we heard about when we were looking into it were very serious and also were handled very badly. And what were the kind of key findings from your research and from your story? We also looked at university policies more broadly across the country. So as an accompaniment to that Trinity Hall investigation, we also looked at policies from the 60 largest universities in the UK. But in terms of the findings at Trinity Hall, I think talking quite generally, we found firstly that an institution as small and tight-knit as a college, and Trinity Hall is particularly small, will find it very difficult to handle cases of sexual violence within that community that are so serious. You know, we had one set of cases that we looked at in our reporting where the process is meant to take 40 days, but it took, you know, a third of a year, 127 days. And those processes are just very complicated, very convoluted, very difficult for students and also for just the institution to handle adequately and properly. So there were problems with the transparency for some of the students who were going through that process. They weren't kept abreast properly of of what was happening to their own complaint. They ended up feeling disappointed, to say the least, in the process and Throughout the process, they'd felt confused, they'd sometimes felt fearful, you know, they felt distressed and they really felt let down by the institution that was meant to take care of them. So so you mentioned that you did this broader study as well of 60 universities and obviously we know that 
sexual assault, sexual harassment is like a societal issue and it's particularly prevalent amongst lots of universities. But from that kind of research, was there anything that you felt about kind of this story that made it specific to Cambridge? Yes. So I think that there are some aspects that are Cambridge specific in that, um, or at least specific to a collegiate university, in that you've got the central university body, which can also handle complaints of sexual violence. And you've got colleges, which, which have their own procedures for handling student misconduct and sexual violence. And there's a whole range from college to college of, of how they'll handle them. And so you have these very close-knit communities where, you know, it could be a fellow that you know will be investigating a complaint that you bring. You know, it just, that sort of closeness feels quite uncomfortable, I imagine, for, for people who are bringing complaints against someone. So those are the specific dynamics that I think are particular to Cambridge. But there are other aspects that aren't Cambridge-specific. So... Cambridge is one of 11 universities out of the 60 that we studied in that other piece of reporting who recommend that complaints of sexual violence be brought within one month. Now, Oscar does say the normal time frame for making a complaint is within 28 days of the matter arising, but they will make allowances for cases of sexual violence. The fact that there are these time limits on making complaints is extraordinary and doesn't make any sense in terms of a policy or a procedure that works for survivors. And did you receive any response from the university um, and all the college? Yes, we did. Trinity Hall gave us a statement which we published alongside our article and that said that There is no place for misconduct or inappropriate behaviour of any kind at Trinity Hall and that they're aware of the importance of dealing with those issues. And, you know, subsequently to our reporting, the college did open up an inquiry into the events, which is currently ongoing. Students have been key in tackling the issues surrounding sexual assault and harassment. We speak to the Cambridge Society loud and clear founded by Marina McCready and Antonia Harrison, about the work they have done challenging the culture around sexual assault. When did Loud and Clear start and why? Loud and Clear started in Lent last year. Actually started with me and Antonia kind of having quite a casual chat at first and we're talking about issues that we'd encountered or we'd heard other people encountering. From that we kind of realised there are a lot of problems that could potentially be resolved and it may be if we sort of started talking to college and started talking to the university bodies involved, maybe there are some ways to fix them. We recruited quite a lot more people from our college and kind of started working out what to do. And what are the aims of your society? Um, so, yeah, broadly, we sort of aim to combat all the cultures which we've sort of detected across the university, which really enable these high levels of sexual misconduct, which we identified in our survey and report. And we wanted to reform the procedures that really impede accountability of of people who think that sexual misconduct is permissible. Yeah, we also focused a lot on creating a culture of zero tolerance and of scrutiny through distributing resources on consent and reporting systems and the experiences of victims. And also we really prioritise trying to work towards making Cambridge a safe space for every kind of survivor. 
guaranteeing that the full diversity of survivor experience is appreciated and that I guess everyone's able to access help regardless of you know any of their characteristics or experiences. Could you tell me about some of the projects that you've done? So I think the first big thing we focused on was this survey in our college and the report that subsequently came from it was a complete anonymous survey that we sent out to Claire students basically that they could fill in with any experiences they had had of sexual um, harassment or assault. We ended up getting I think in the high 60s, 67 or something responses from students. We had included information like what happened, did they report it, if they didn't report it, why not and how like supported they felt. And from those results, we kind of compiled an overview of the situation, basically the common themes that we found and like the common problems that were identified. The one thing we didn't mention is the guide, which we recently put out, which is just a big old document of quite a lot of the stuff. People who either have experienced sexual misconduct themselves or know someone who has quite a lot of information they might need to navigate that just because it was so hard to find things and everything's kind of kept in different places so we put it all in one place which we hope were really helpful um so yeah like that's there on our facebook to access if people want it and why do you think that sexual assault is a problem both at cambridge and at universities at large on a kind of smaller level there are lots of things in universities especially that lead to higher rates. I think just more social events, higher concentration of people of the same age, kind of in the same space. But I think those are kind of quite minor in comparison to like the main cause is kind of the patriarchy that we live in and the the fact that often sexual assault is gendered essentially. And yeah, I've read about it being like not actually about sex, but about power, which I think is a direct consequence of misogyny and patriarchal systems. Yeah, in Cambridge in particular as well, we found a lot that um, I guess the way procedures are handled a lot within colleges means that there's this really, really insular environment where everyone knows everyone. A lot of the staff members who might be working with a case that has been reported will probably know the perpetrator as well as the victim and might have, you know, some kind of allegiances in that direction. And I think it's, yeah, it's just these really insular spaces where, as Marina says, power dynamics are are really, really defined and, and, and obvious. So what is your opinion on the sexual assault policies and procedures at Clare College and at Cambridge? I guess firstly I'd say that it's not like really a Clare specific problem. We didn't start this because it's limited to Clare in any way and in fact Clare have been really receptive to the changes we've been trying to make. We've been working a lot on standardisation because, yeah, we don't think this is, although obviously cases are concentrated, particularly in some colleges, we really don't see this as something that's rooted in any in particular more than others, but a really quite general problem. It's also like interesting to note that although every college has their own policy on this, the vast majority of them are, in fact, just taken from a template provided by the university. So our thinking was that the problems in our college do, in fact, just exist in all the colleges. and our in some way quite similar to the issues in the university level policy. They both share a lot of the same um, quite hostile language. We found they share a lot of the same quite like just confusing structures, quite a lot of jargon. They tend to be really long documents, which doesn't help. If you want to work out what to do, you have to go through like 20 pages of writing. So I guess for both university and college, that was a problem. I think maybe specifically college 
had more issues just with regards to what Antonio was saying earlier about conflicts of interest being more likely to come up, which I think we found was a big issue because at least at the university level, there are sort of independent people who are much less likely to be familiar with any of the people involved in cases. So they're kind of more reliable, I'd say. Yeah, also, I guess it's worth noting a lot of the work we've been doing recently, it's been about creating paper trails and things, because we found that a lot of colleges, when left to their own devices with dealing with cases of sexual, alleged sexual misconduct, will often use alternative resolution for those cases. So, you know, discussions with both agents, potentially them both having to discuss it with each other. And I suppose a a punishment that ultimately doesn't end up being too punitive very, very often for the perpetrator or alleged perpetrator. And we found that colleges weren't really keeping records of who was going through those processes so there could be repeat or serial offenders and abusers in colleges who would never be held accountable for the full scope of their actions. And you're a student-led organisation, do you feel like a lot of the change in these kind of cultures needs to come from students? I guess something we've been discussing recently is that obviously there's a high concentration of victims and survivors or however people choose to define themselves, people who've experienced sexual misconduct who feel the need to be involved in campaigns like this, which obviously can take a huge emotional toll on people. So I think that's a big issue that needs to be talked about a lot more. Obviously, in an ideal world, the work shouldn't need to be done pretty much exclusively by students. I know that as Marina was saying, that the amazing work of people within Oscar and people who deal specifically with sexual misconduct on a university level, like staff members, are really, really good, but underfunded, under-resourced, um, in our opinion. This activism has also taken a more formalised approach, being addressed by members of the Student Union and University Council. Freddie Poser is a student university councillor. Last year, he ran on a manifesto that pushed for a centralised sexual harassment reporting procedure. We speak to him about why he believes this is necessary and the main obstacles facing such change. What is your role? What do you do as part of it? And to what extent do you collaborate with the other SU officers? So I'm the university councillor, which means I sit on the university council, which is the governing body of the University of Cambridge. So the Senate House, which is basically all the academics of the university delegate most of their powers to university council to make the day-to-day decisions we meet once a month it's got quite a diverse membership from heads of colleges to members of staff and then there are three student members so i'm the separately elected university councillor so i just do that alongside my degree and then the two presidents of the students union undergraduate and postgraduate also sit on the council so I work mostly with Astor and Ben because they're my colleagues on the council and we make sure we sort of chat about what's going to happen at council before it comes up so that we are on the same side and we know what we're going to say and just to help us understand the content that comes to council really. Can you outline what you think are the current problems with the sexual harassment procedures at Cambridge? So I'd say one of the main issues with how this stuff happens is that it's very fragmented amongst the colleges. We've seen a number of cases where colleges have failed to uphold their duty of care in quite in quite serious ways, I'd say, be that the Trinity Hall case or more recently with what Jesus is saying around COVID-19 regulations. Because every college is different, it's very hard to give unified advice. And there are 
centralized procedures there's oscar and i know you've got a representative from that talking to you as well but the fact that it's left up to colleges and thus actually relatively small bodies of academics who know each other quite well the college governing bodies and councils it becomes quite difficult to institute good policies and good reforms and it requires so much work at the level of the college by student activists to make progress and unfortunately generally progress is made when something goes badly wrong whereas were it to be centralized that wouldn't be a magic bullet it would still be difficult and we you know still need to push for those policies to be the right ones to support victims but at least there'd be one set of policies that everyone would understand and it wouldn't matter if you were um a victim at jesus rather than homerton the level of justice and support you could get at this university and what successes have you had whilst campaigning on this issue and what barriers are preventing change so unfortunately and this is a sort of a part of the role in a way i didn't quite understand the level of power one gets as university councillor which is much more i will deliberate on stuff that comes to council but it's actually very hard to bring new things to council because actually the agenda items are set months or even years in advance so recently most of what i've been working on has been the budget stuff and the divestment report but that only came to council after years of student campaigning so unfortunately i've i have no major successes to bring up in my four council meetings so far and what i would say is that actually you know the people best place to work are the student body and i'd love for anyone who wants to work with me on this to please reach out because i'd happily work with you and provide insight and then push to get it to council but i didn't really understand what you can and can't do when i ran for the role on your own and it is a limited role so working with the su and student groups is absolutely crucial to get anything done are you restricted on what you can put on the agenda are you more responding to things that are already on there yeah so i don't have a direct ability to put something on the agenda I could I could certainly request for something to be on the agenda but even then to do that it would have to be quite a major thing so I could ask for a paper to be included but there would have to be a paper I could ask for discussions on things but for them to get to council which is actually quite a high up you know it's the top level body in the university they've generally come through multiple processes be they pressure from outside of the students and such it's not like I could just email the secretary of the of council and go could you please put this on the agenda for the next meeting because there's a huge amount to discuss and they are set all of the meetings i've had so far pretty much have had their agenda set before i ever got to council do you think that covid-19 has reduced the momentum around challenging sexual harassment and i guess a lot of student campaigns in general i think it's an unfortunate yet inevitable consequence of something like covid-19 that it has thrown a spanner in the works of a lot of these things i'd say a lot of students are still doing fantastic work on this the su campaigns doing very good work and i know there are plenty of initiatives moving forward across you know a huge range not just on sexual harassment but things that students really care about there's certainly still room and people are still listening and there's also important that we look at the intersection between covid-19 and these issues yeah no definitely i think the the jesus case is, is definitely an example of that well i i i think on the jesus issue is is an absolute case where 
university guidance would be really useful. So the university shouldn't be scared of the colleges in providing guidance. It should say, no, it's not acceptable, that actually we wouldn't go after you for breaching COVID-19 rules if you reported sexual harassment. I think what Jesus College have decided to do is pretty unacceptable. The, the fact that the university don't have centralised guidance means that, once again, it's a college lottery. The big question seems to be whether Cambridge should pursue complete centralisation of sexual harassment procedure. We pose this question first to our student from Homerton, then Antonia and Marina from Loud and Clear, and finally to Freddie Poser. I think that there needs to be a central approach, but that ultimate responsibility should still be to the college. The reason I think that is that there should be a set of standards that every single college has to adhere to, that every college should essentially have the same process. But I think that it's very important that the actual reporting process and any action that occurs does happen within college, because for a student, their college is their home. And it can feel so invasive if you report something and then you're confronted by strangers or the process is kind of taken out of your hands. And I think that by keeping the main body of the process within college, students will feel more supported because they'll have their tutor there who knows them. They might have the senior tutor who hopefully is supportive of them. So I think it should stay in college, but that there should be standards across the university. Would you support just getting rid of individual college procedures and just having one centralised body deal with everything? In an ideal world, that would be the case. I think especially after the Trinity Hall case last year, the open letter that came out as a result of that, um, it called for all instances of sexual assault to be referred to the university, not to colleges, because there's so much risk in the colleges that it won't be dealt with properly. So yeah, I think ideally that would be good. The problem is that there are currently very few staff employed by the university office. I think they have like four or five permanent staff, which and they just would not be able to cope with it all. So yeah, I guess the ideal thing would be for them to hire loads more people and have it all centralised and have lots of independent and expert people working on all these cases. But I think currently it, it just couldn't work. There'll never be a situation where the college is not important to the support of victims of sexual harassment. You know, that is a nature of how the collegiate system deals with pastoral issues, is it really is up to the colleges, and they are best placed to deal with that. But I think when I talk about the centralisation of these issues, one of the things I'm talking about is how we need to be able to avoid where academics who are all friends are judging themselves or it's such a small group who may not have had the ability to have the training because, you know, they're a small group at a college, whereas actually the university has the resources and the ability to provide training and specialist instruction and specialist members of staff, preferably, to deal with these issues. So I think it's not about getting rid of the colleges as a pastoral and a support system, but I, I think there should be a standard way of raising these issues centrally, perhaps in addition to doing things at the college level. The centralised procedure that is already in place is carried out by OSCAR, Cambridge's Office of Student Conduct Complaints and Appeals. We spoke to Chris Down, 
investigator at Oscar about what the procedure entails and how students can be supported throughout the reporting process. So first of all, um, who are Oscar? Uh, when were you guys created and what do you do? So Oscar is the Office of Student Conduct Complaints and Appeals. We are uh, the office that deals with student complaints, be that you know, exam reviews, complaints about uh, university procedures, complaints about the student experience, but also relevant to my role is, is dealing with student disciplinary matters. Encompassed within that is, is complaints that might be of sexual misconduct. So th th there's essentially th there's, there's two main procedures for student misconduct. One of those is what we refer to as the formal procedure, that's the discipline procedure. One of them we tend to refer to as the informal procedure for student misconduct. So what the informal procedure offers is a way of limiting their interaction with another student with which there's been something happen, you know, breach of the alleged breach of the rules of behaviour. So it enables them to kind of a, seek to achieve a framework with which to manage their future interactions with that person. So it is a shorter procedure. It's called informal because at the end of it, there's no judgment. There's no panel of people that are saying, you know, student A has done this, student B has done that. You, you do lack that element of, of, of justice that some people look for. What we try to achieve is, is this, this framework. So we will approach both students, make a record of what they're saying, but we won't necessarily explore and investigate the allegation so much as we will explore what they want to do to limit the interaction. And essentially what we're saying to the person who's responding to the, the allegation, the complaint, is that, that this complaint's been made about you. This is what's alleged to have happened. The person reporting doesn't want to make a formal complaint, but they do want to limit their interaction. And these are the areas which they've highlighted to us as concern for them. And that can be anything from students on the same course, in the same year, in the same college. So really kind of really inextricably linked in, in their lives. And, and so we provided a framework so the person reporting knows how the other person will react. The, the, the formal procedure uh, is formal because there is an outcome, usually, uh, you know, an outcome. We are investigating the breaches of our own rules of behaviour encompassed within those rules is a, a registered student must not engage in sexual misconduct. We have a definition of what sexual misconduct is and within that we have a definition of essentially what, what consent means and actually we do avoid the use of the word consent. That's That has a meaning in law and, and I think the important distinction between the university and, and the police dealing things is, is that the university are dealing with uh, breaches of our rules of behaviour. We're not dealing with crime. We can be investigating similar themes, similar instances, but actually we are not the police and we shouldn't be seen as, you know, as the policing the university. That's not that's not what we are. We're investigating our rule, a breach of the rules of behaviour. So a more formal procedure, uh, I suppose it's fair to say it takes slightly longer because it's a more in-depth investigation. That would be the average the investigation would mean meeting with the person reporting, getting an account from any witnesses who, who may either be a direct witness or an indirect witness, uh, or, of course, speaking to the person who, who is alleged to have, uh, have done the behaviour. Once the investigation is complete, the report gets sent back to that student discipline office to make a decision, and their decision is really, you know, well, what's going to happen next? Do we take no further action? Do we refer it to another procedure, such as fitness to practice, fitness to study? Do we do we offer the... the, the responding students some minor sanctions or measures or do we think it needs to go to a formal discipline committee to make a decision if it does go to the, the formal discipline committee of course they're making the decision one do they think there has been a breach of the rules of behavior two what are they going to do if, if they have found a breach of the rules of behavior and then obviously the sanctions lead on from there if they do find it's happened 
you've spoken about how people can bring sexual misconduct allegations to Oscar, but they can also bring those allegations to through their colleges. So do you think it's possible to have an independent and an impartial investigation within a small college environment? Firstly, I don't think it's my place to comment on, on other investigations, particularly when I haven't seen them. I, I'm not party to them. I don't see how the investigations are conducted. I don't see the outcomes. But we, when we look at the principles of natural justice, for example, um, there's the several tenets to that, you know, adequate notice, knowing what you're accused of, fair hearing, and, and no bias. I mean, if, if those principles may be met, then there's no reason why, you know, an investigation couldn't be deemed to be, you know, adequate to be independent and impartial. And indeed, it's not, it's not anything that's not happening across the world in, in HR investigations in, in small companies or, or other universities. So, so theoretically, you know, it, it's possible, certainly. One of the other things I would I would certainly add is that where there's where there's cross-college instance, so where it's one student in one college and a student in another versus a student in another college, the senior tutors previously agreed that the university would deal with that. And that, that to my mind, is what happens. If what we're saying is that sexual violence at its core is a, is a violation, let's give, those, let's give that person reporting some control back. Let's give them the options. If they want the university to deal with it, then you know, we have the procedures in place to do that. If for whatever reason they would rather the college dealt with it and the college have the procedures to be able to do it, then, then that's what should happen. How can you ensure that investigations aren't uncomfortable or traumatising for the victims? Without formally reporting, you can have a meeting with me. If you're thinking about reporting, and it's often, you know, it, it might be quite helpful to meet me face to face and know that this is the person you're going to be talking to. So I think that can that can allay some of the, the perhaps, you know, fear of the unknown or, you know, what, what response am I going to get? What we see is that... The, the, the initial responses to that disclosure of sexual violence are key. And what, what, what we've seen is that how the person responds to the person telling them can cause trauma in and of itself. So what that tells us is this is really a really important thing that we must get right. One of the key factors in preventing secondary trauma or, or a worsening of the original trauma were being believed and, and having adequate support. Uh, those are two really important things. And certainly I've, I've talked about Amy, the sexual assault harassment advisor, really important uh, role within the university for independent support for people who have experienced any sexual violence. Ultimately, you know, the person reporting has to be engaged with the procedure. They have to be, you have to be able to do it. There have been some concerns raised by some students and student representatives that they worry that students might not come forward with sexual assault or misconduct allegations at the moment during coronavirus time because they fear that they may face repercussions for potentially having had the social distancing rules breached. Is that something you're concerned about? What would you say to that? I'm really concerned at the moment, but broadly anyway, society, you know, I'm worried about people being trapped in abusive homes. I'm worried about children being trapped with abusive parents and with nowhere to go. And of course, we, in, in our own context, the university, we are, you know, students are cooped up. They may be cooped up in, in abusive environments. If they're reporting you know, abusive behaviour, they should not feel any fear in coming forward. So if, if that means making contact with me saying, you know, I'd rather not say exactly what's happened or exactly who was involved, could we have a discussion in principle about what would happen in this scenario? Of course, I would welcome that discussion. Is there anything that you wanted to say that I've not really allowed you to... There is a dearth of research in the area in relation to university students, you know, and, and what, what, what sexual violence looks like. One, but, but one of the things we do know is that, you know, disabled students, students from black or ethnic minority backgrounds, LGBTQ plus students are disproportionately affected in terms of sexual violence. And not only that, they, that they are more reluctant to come forward as a result. 
and so we, we are we are constantly looking at ways to in, increase our visibility in, in, in certain sections of the Cambridge community. So really, I suppose, really, you know, it's a platform, isn't it, for us to say we recognise that this is an issue. We absolutely would, would, would support people coming forward. And so it's been nine months since you uh, initially broke the story. But I guess more generally, are you optimistic like about the future? Do you see it being a real possibility that these kind of procedures are going to be reformed? Also, do you think we're going to have a culture where these incidents are also less likely to take place in the first place? It's a tough one. In some senses, I am pleased by some developments that I'm seeing. There are some universities that are trying to do better, you know, developing policies that are specifically designed for sexual harassment and sexual assault. They're not perfect, but the fact that they are putting sexual violence in a separate category to other types of disciplinary complaints is a step forward. In terms of the culture of universities more generally, I think there's a long way to go in terms of handling and taking student complaints of sexual violence seriously and also staff complaints of sexual violence seriously. There was one person that I spoke to, an academic who works on sexual violence, Claire McGlynn from Durham, and she said universities need to stop worrying about covering things up and start thinking about how to protect survivors. And I think that, you know, what she said kind of sums it up. Clearly, many of the problems around the sexual harassment and assault reporting procedures stem from Cambridge's collegiate system. Therefore, it is crucial that a more centralised reporting procedure is pursued. However, as the bulk of student pastoral care is undertaken by colleges, it's also vital that college staff are well trained in how to deal with and respond to allegations and forward them on to the relevant bodies so that students always feel supported. It's crucial to recognise that the cases at Trinity Hall, Homerton and Jesus are not specific to these colleges, but rather the product of having disparate and independent procedures. And therefore, change is needed urgently. Thank you for listening. You can read more on this topic at varsity.co.uk. Thank you to our contributors, an anonymous student from Homerton College, Cambridge University Councillor Freddie Poser, tortoise journalist Ella Hill, investigator at the Office of Student Conduct Complaints and Appeals, Chris Down, and Marina McCready and Antonia Harrison from Loud and Clear. Thanks also to our production team, Matthew Cavallini, Georgia Goebel, Thea Melton, Tilly Head, Cameron White, Kate Pruden, Theo Fitzpatrick, Alex Oxford, Juliette Babinski, Sorrel Fenelon and Matthew Jeffries. We'll be back next week for our final episode. Subscribe to our podcast or visit our Facebook page where you can leave any thoughts.